This is the Territory Story Podcast with Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Hello there and welcome. This is the Territory Story Podcast, weekend edition or weekends with Walshy. My name is Peter Gowers and I'd like to introduce all the way back from Canada, Mr. Chris Walsh, the NT Independent Online Newspaper Editor and Head Honcho. G'day, Chris. How are you? Hey, I'm good, Pete. Good to see you again. You too, mate. Welcome back. I believe yeah, you but... um, touched down in Canada and it would have been minus 500 degrees or something like that when you got there? <laughs> well, it, yeah, it was. It was minus 33 wow. when we got there. So plus 33 to minus. And then it like one of those days it went down to minus 50 at night, they said, with the wow. wind chill. So, um, yeah, so the little girl could uh, look outside and see all the snow and not go anywhere near it because it was so cold. Um, yeah. And then that that was for like the week leading up till Christmas. And then uh, I think it was like Christmas Day or something, went up to minus five. So everybody was out on the snow hills with the toboggans and the uh, sleds. And uh, so we got to have some fun then. Nice. And then I never got quite that cold again the rest of the trip, which was good. But yeah, Any it was. snowballs thrown? <laughs> a few, but you know, when it gets to be that cold, it gets all dry. The uh, the snow and not packy, not good for ah. packing. So you just got kind of powdery snow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, perfect for skiing, but not so good for throwing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, we had good good winter fun, and it was uh, uh, you know we had an experience that like four years or something. So yeah, yeah, good to get back there. Total culture shock for Bob, I imagine too. Yeah, yeah, she had fun. Um, and then I thought, like, I think people in Canada around this time, you know, after the holidays are over and it's very dark and cold out and there's nothing to look forward to, um, you know, yep. it gets kind of bleak there. And so then we got to come home and drive around where leaves are blowing on trees. It's the middle of summer. <laughs> and uh, so it's pretty good. We were, we were happy to be back. That's for sure. Oh, that's good. So you missed the humidity, did you? <laughs> yeah, well, I just missed that whole not snow because shoveling is terrible. Yeah, right. <laughs> and and how is the um, political situation in Canada? Well, interestingly enough, look, it's crazy because in Alberta, uh, especially this, you know, I was banned. This this was, <laughs> and you're going to be surprised at this. Um, oh, and I and I think I should tell this little brief little story. Anyway, it, the the premier of Alberta now is a woman named Danielle Smith. Now, Danielle Smith ran. Uh, and she was the leader of a party called the Wild Rose Alliance Party. Now, okay. you know, as I have always said in politics, you're judged by the craziest amongst you. And <laughs> they had a lot of crazies. And this is how oh, we're looking at about 11 years ago. Um, and one of those guys was this like he was like a minister of some sort. And he came out and said or they found some old speeches of his where he said uh, uh, the gays should die in the lake of fire, homosexuals. And so it was like, whoa, okay, and we're talking, you know, 10, 12 years ago. And so that became the thing. And we expected the leader, Danielle Smith, of this crazy party to, to actually, like, do something about this guy's comments. And she came out, and then and I was covering it, and then in Calgary, Alberta. And she said, uh, you know, he's just a good Albertan. He loves his freedom. And uh, it was like, oh, my God. And that loves they, his freedom, hates these guys. <laughs> yeah, like a fire stuff. So... You know, failing to condemn him for the remarks really kind of that was seen as a big misstep in that thing. Now, in that campaign for her, and they lost, even yeah. though everybody thought they were going to win this wild fringe party, fringe, like crazy right wing fringe party that would yeah. accept comments like that. So, um, 
they lose and they point back to that. Anyway, along the way, I interviewed her. Uh, I traveled around with her for a day. I, I think they wouldn't let me on the bus, but I just followed the bus anyway, the campaign bus. Yeah. And so I wrote this this article about her where I was saying that, and it was kind of like a feature from the day, uh, traveling with her. And I was talking about how she drops this kind of hokey accent that she put on for people. Like she was tricking all of these farmers, yeah. all these rubes in rural Alberta that that she was one of them and oh well uh, shucks then <laughs> wouldn't you know and uh, kind of like sarah pale and stuff and um yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then she dropped it and then the, one of her advisors went up and she said yeah so exactly how are we doing in the polls here what are the numbers and you could tell <laughs> that it was she was a completely different person yeah so i put something like that in the story and um and uh everybody got upset and uh and they they wouldn't they banned me they banned me. This was the first political party to ban wow. me because they didn't like the story that I did about their phony leader who then, who then after this, so she bans me. Now this is a conservative party. This is a right wing party. So anybody yeah. who says that I'm conservative right wing, I mean, I was writing critical stuff about this crazy party yeah. in Canada and I got banned for that. And then, you know, that didn't matter because in the end, I mean, it was at the end of the campaign anyway, and that was it. And they didn't win. I think they were in opposition. But see, what she did was she crossed the floor to join the United Conservatives, the Progressive Conservatives. Yeah. And uh, that really upset her base. And so she was kicked out of politics, like she lost her seat the, the next election. And so she was gone. She became a radio commentator. Oh, yeah. For conservative. That's, that's where people um, go when they've got no other options. Yeah. And so she, uh, and, and so she, um, she used that to uh to to get back into people's minds and then ah. the pandemic came along and then she started the crazy track on that yeah, yeah. which was it's all a conspiracy and people yep. shouldn't have to be vaccinated anti-vax stuff and so she loses her with 5g and stuff like yes yeah, so she gets sacked from that because it's a major carrier that she's on and then she goes online and she does this stuff but yet, you know, and then this guy, one of the reporters there in Calgary, written this feature about her coming back, and he and he talks about this farmer in southern Alberta who said, like, oh, you know, we really didn't trust her. She so she showed she was a phony and that she didn't believe in what she was saying when mm. she crossed the floor back in 2012 or whatever it was, 2013. Yeah. And uh, and then he says, but I've been listening to her on the radio now. And I know that she's just like us. I know that we misunderstood her. Before. And I'm like, oh, my God, guy. Like, if you honestly believe if you give a politician a second chance like that i mean yeah. that's stupid and you're getting what you deserve so anyway then she ends up becoming the party selects her as the leader of the party that's in power so she becomes the premier she's the premier now um uh yeah so things are going to get pretty crazy there and it looks like the far left ndp new democratic party will probably take it again um wow. defeating the conservatives because people don't like her, and this the, the, the other part of the story was that, that this guy wrote, the CBC journalist there, that I didn't know was that she, uh, before she got into the whole political scene in Calgary, she she flew to Vancouver and lived in Vancouver and tried to be an actress. And I thought, oh my God, that was the missing part. That yeah, was yeah. the missing part in this. So, that you know, I've been... Missing part of crazy. Yeah, yeah, where you just see, and then it's like, oh, this is all a performance. She believes in nothing other than what will benefit her, quite like our clowns here in government. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, ultimately, voters see through that eventually. Sometimes it maybe takes them longer. 
than other times. But yeah, so I don't, and nobody thinks she's going to win there. I mean, she's down in the polls here. Like, yeah, the crazies like her, but there's not enough of them. And uh, yeah, look, hey, that's politics. It's crazy. They're, they're just another quick one in Calgary, the police commissioner, uh, there was some uh, a survey that they did with his people and they didn't like him. Yep. And so he said, he resigned. <laughs> no, nah, he well close. He said, "Look, this is very serious, and I have to take accountability for this. I'm responsible for this. Imagine I'm going to go fix things. I'm going to be talking. Yeah. I'm going to fix it." But he actually owned it. He owned. He took yeah, responsibility, yeah. which is crazy. Isn't that great? He didn't just say, "Nah, it's all just beat up." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then say like, and then use a man's death to say, "Oh, now I'm popular because you know this yeah. inquest is going on." I've been now vindicated everyone. for <laughs> yeah, not sure yeah. quite what. <laughs> yeah. So um, there's connections there. Yeah, and look, there is a moral to that story too, Chris, and I've said that many times. So obviously the uh, great leaders of our various political parties are listening, including the current government. And I will just say uh, on on your behalf and in your defence, uh, you're not left, you're not right, you just hate everyone. And uh, I'd appreciate <laughs> well, if people would start listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I, I just despise politicians who put themselves above the, their people and the people yeah. who voted them in, and that's all that we've seen a lot of lately in this place i mean labor that's just that's their core value now and i don't think it was before i really don't yeah. um but that's just how they've become under the gunner now files leadership is it's all about them the funny thing is that something happened last week and i was talking to someone about it and you know like when when something happens with a government and you think oh okay well that's that's the end of the line <laughs> and then there's just been that many moments with with the current government that you just know there's no end. Like it'll just until either something forces their hand or until something of you know a major major shakeup happens, you just know there is no end of the line. The, the yeah. line knows no end. No, that's right, Pete. And and yeah, like what we've seen this week in Alice Springs, and I think we're going to get into that here. But I think that shows you that there were mistakes made. Uh, no responsibility taken for those yes. mistakes by this files government. Um, and, uh, you know, what, 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 you know, when does it come a point where, look, the, fundamentally the government's responsibility is to ensure the safety of its citizens when it can't do that anymore and which it hasn't been able to do for some time. And then, you know, what is, what is its legitimacy to govern anymore? And, mm. you know, but then who comes in and does this? Well, this week, I think we get, we kind of got to look at what, happens when you screw up so bad that you need the prime minister to come in yeah it kind of shocked me that um because let's be honest this this isn't a this week thing this has been no. going on for a while and it kind of shocked me that it was this particular government that did it because you'd think that the previous government would have had points to win by doing it but seemingly and then, yeah. and, and yet you got dutton coming out this week shouting from the soapboxes though he's been talking about it for ages well <laughs> it was all confusing but anyway, look, let's let's yeah. move on to the stories because there's lots to talk about and Clown Town is alive and well. Uh, but for the first story, as you say, let's head to the southern capital and talk about what happened because um, I think everybody was shocked, including potentially the Chief Minister herself, uh, when the Prime Minister landed in Alice Springs with all the crime crisis uh, that's been going on and the NT... Uh, announcing new alcohol restrictions for the town. So let's let's get into it. Yeah, yeah, P, like we said, I mean, look, we, we've been talking about this since the beginning of the podcast, since the beginning of the NT Independent. Um, 
there's been stories about crime in Alice Springs and things getting progressively worse. Um, I, and I want to say that, and like you said, and you made a good point, this isn't just stuff that happened this week. Now, we know the prime minister came this week because it's gotten so bad that, you know, he felt pressured to come here or, or shamed into it. I don't know. And, uh, yeah. uh, you know, and congratulations to like people like um, Darren Clark on Action for Alice for pushing it. And he's always on there on the Facebook page, letting his community members know what's going on. You know, he's getting stuff from police and stuff who want this getting out, who know that it's being suppressed by the executive, that the true facts of how bad the situation there is have never come out um, and are being suppressed. So, you know, good on them for that and then yeah you had the opposition put some pressure on uh and we got the prime minister here now i want i want to say this too though and i mean there was something uh, yeah you know everybody's talked about this all week and uh oh yeah yeah well we you know the prime minister had to come sure the and because of the national media attention it was put on it now there's nothing honorable about what the national media have done there the, you know this is uh, this is not you know, they, it was over, or it was about a year ago that we had that, um, a current affairs story done. Right. And then nobody yes. did anything for a year. And you had the mayor, Matt Patterson back then in January, a year ago saying, calling for help from federal people. Now, what happened is you got to get lucky sometimes with this when you've got a crisis on your hands and people of Alice Springs got lucky. It was a slow news week. It is about news cycles. Let's not forget that. This yeah. isn't that the rest of the country cares about Alice Springs. It's that there was nothing else. There was no other news to cover. Well, let's see. You know, we hear it's pretty bad in Alice Springs. Let's go check it out. Mm -hmm. uh, but all of that, you know, worked in hopefully to the advantage of people in Alice Springs because we feel for them and we know what they're going through. And we talk about it every week on here. Uh, so you kind of got the sense that there was some hope there that all of this has come together. The timing's right. The prime minister is going to be forced to come in here. They're going to be forced to find solutions for this. So Albanese shows up. They have the meeting. Much has been made about his five-hour flight, um, you know, two hours on the ground, five hours back. Uh, what was actually accomplished? Well, he's, he met with people. He did meet with groups. He had, a, he had the Indigenous Australian Minister Linda Burney with him, uh, uh, Dodson. Uh, he also had the NT people, Scrimjaw. Malandari McCarthy. Now he did meet with um, with uh, indigenous groups, police, uh, some other uh, interest groups, you know, NGOs. Uh, didn't meet with with real people who are having their homes broken into. But you know, all these people who run these NGOs and indigenous groups all happen to have their homes broken into because it's Alice Springs, so they could yeah. yeah. kind of give a little perspective there. So now he comes out and he says, and, you know, it's all carefully worded about now, look, everything, everybody's pointing to the stronger futures legislation being lifted. And we talked about that last July. And of course, this is code for, I don't know why we can't say what it is, a liquor ban. It was a liquor ban yeah. on indigenous communities around Alice Springs, well, all around the NT. And this is from the Howard Intervention, 2007. We know this stuff, right? It's been around for a while. Mm. Um, now it gets lifted in July. Everybody comes out and says there's going to be problems here. Now the anti-government fails to plan for this. And we've seen files say, oh, it was the coalition government. They removed it. And, and it's like, come on, no, this is your jurisdiction. This is your responsibility. And you can't just say that you had years to plan. You knew it was going to come up. Um, they didn't do anything. And they kept saying, oh, it's a racist policy. It's a race-based policy. And we're not going to do that. 
Well, you know, you have people this week saying that some discrimination is good when it means that it's protecting people here, that it's, you know, protecting everybody, making a safer community. So, um, look, this was an issue that, that, yeah, that everybody is a big one and we won't get into all the ins and outs of all of that because uh, it would take so long. But uh, somehow this became the big thing that the nation wanted to focus on, right? Which which was that it's all the stronger futures. They're all coming into house to get drunk. I, I don't know why. I mean, you have it out and they can have it in their community. I guess they're coming in to get it, to take it to their community. Yeah. But somehow they're they're screwing around in Alice Springs when they're there. So, and this is, uh, this is all the problem. So, you know, Albanese kind of addresses that and he says, alcohol isn't the, the sole problem here. And he said something like that in the press conference and the journalists went back to that and he said, no, I look, I know it's an issue. So he hasn't, what he announced basically, what Albanese announced was that uh, he was going to have this bureaucrat. He's going to appoint this bureaucrat to be some sort of commander or something. And what she's really going to do is she's going to consult with people there and then he's, she's going to report back to him in a week on February 1st uh, and whether or not they move back to the ban on alcohol in communities. Yep. And now you're getting mixed uh, from everybody around, mixed response on whether or not that's a good idea. I think a, a lot of people say it is the only way to go, and at least that's the start of something. So you've got him saying that, and you know, and there'll be some money for the same old stuff that Morrison promised when he finally showed up. When ABC guilted him into that, <laughs> into meeting with the mayor, he was in Alice Springs or somewhere. He wasn't going to meet with the mayor, um, and that was during the yeah the campaign, the, the election campaign. So look, yeah, so they, they made some announcements there. Files comes out now. Files comes out and says, and now let's just keep this in mind, right, Pete? The files has had how many months? She she came in in May. Um, she knew about it. She was the health minister. She she's got her fingerprints all over this, you know, botched plan here. Uh, so she comes out and you know, like what was it? Just a few weeks ago, or what was it last month when they were saying, "Oh, we've got." Um, no, I think it was earlier this month, right? Where they said, "Oh, the liquor stores, they're they're on board with us. They're not going to be selling as much or something." It was some voluntary thing yeah, yeah. and it didn't make their any job, sense their jobs to make as little as possible isn't it yeah yeah exactly so uh so she comes out now and she says well here's what we're going to do we're finally going to do something now this isn't her right like i mean she's had so many opportunities to do this her and kate warden this is clearly they were told by the federal government here's what you're going to do yeah um so and what she says is we're going to for three months for the next three months we're going to uh uh, ban the sale of takeaway alcohol on Mondays and Tuesdays. We're going to restrict trading hours from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. on the other days, and it'll be uh, one transaction per person per day. So, you know, yeah. it's a little heavy-handed there, but, you know, they've got some problems down there, and, and that's that's her thing. But now, why does it take her this long to come up with this thing? Um, you know, the, the, the reaction's mixed. I mean, you had a lot of people saying, look, it's good. She's still, though, the, the, the whole thing is that she's still saying that this has nothing to do with this. Well, she's not going to reintroduce the racist policy of this blanket alcohol ban on remote communities. And so her idea was that they could opt in if they wanted it. She's clearly been told now by the federal government that was the wrong way to do it. It should have been opt out. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, so look, that's probably where it's going to go back now. 
But I think even had Bernie the next day or something yesterday, she was saying the government screwed this up. The anti-government screwed this up. Like her own labor people federally are saying the anti-government screwed this up. And there's no one to blame for files but herself and her government on this. No, there's not. And and look, there's a few things to cover in that point. But, you know, a couple of things that, that strike me, Chris. And one thing in particular, when I was sort of reading all the bits and pieces and the points of view that, that hit me was, please enlighten me as to if we have a problem with youth crime in Alice Springs, where we have kids as young as 10 to 13 stealing cars, driving at police officers and causing a lot of these troubles, how does the connection to alcohol play out in that? Because surely 13-year-olds aren't buying alcohol. Yeah, yeah, well, they're breaking in and taking it, right? So um, now the other thing, I mean, and this became a national media narrative that, uh, that, um, that the parents of those kids are drunk and at home and abusing each other and the kids want to get out of that environment that bit makes sense yeah so you know and this is um and i just in the story and i think that this is interesting so we have that the people's action alcohol action coalition spokesman these are the the temperance movement let's call them dr john boffa Hmm. uh said what was happening now was exactly what leading aboriginal health justice and community organizations along with that coalition predicted when alcohol was allowed back in the most of the NT's indigenous communities in July. Now he says NT towns that were already battling with excessively high levels of youth offending, especially Alice Springs are awash with takeaway alcohol and the results are stark and horrific. Uh, the rights of Aboriginal women to be safe from violence and for their children to be free from neglect and harm and not to live in fear have been thrown in the bin, mm. their rights. In fact, the communities in general is living in fear of violence and no longer enjoying the amenity of Alice as it once did. This is what happens when the privilege of access to alcohol is placed above fundamental human rights. He, he said that, you know, everybody's talked about this, that there were going to be problems. The government didn't listen, didn't consult, yeah. didn't listen. I mean, you had them all coming out, whether they consulted or not. I mean, we, they said that, oh, yeah, we listened to everybody. Well, you didn't. You clearly didn't because you have Aboriginal groups saying when this legislation lifts, we're in trouble. He's yeah. talking about um, uh, just other issues that were going to come out here, too, that... Uh, There'll be, he, he said there was more violence, more fetal alcohol spectrum disorder cases on the way, a future looming where more kids have uh, even greater developmental delay. Mm. Um, and we know that everything spiked and shot through the roof after that was listed. Now, th- this, again, isn't the main cause of this, uh, of this, of the problems in Alice Springs. And we'll get into that in a second here. But I, I also thought it was interesting, Scrimjaw. Uh, member for Lingari now and former Deputy Chief Minister Marin Scrimja. Uh, she told Melbourne's 3AW radio on Monday uh, that they were scared someone was going to be seriously hurt or killed. They'd never seen crime in Alice Springs. She had never seen crime in Alice Springs as bad. She said, let's stop pussyfooting around the issue of alcohol abuse. She said, the federal legislation lapsed. The NT government did nothing to put in place its own legislation at the moment. It's all open slather. Uh, clearly saying that, um, you know, the anti-government here had a, had a responsibility to do something. They knew it was coming. They didn't consult. They didn't listen. And here we are. So congratulations to the often maligned Paul McHugh, 
the uh, NT Police Association president, who came out and said exactly this. The Northern Territory government were warned in the middle of last year that this is exactly the outcome that they could expect if they did nothing about it. And to be brutally honest, in Natasha Files' own words, I was actually offended by her comments saying, oh, we've planned for this and we're not doing racist things. That, to me, is typical of this government. All these one-liners, all this rhetoric, all this crap, which adds up to nothing, they're lazy, they've got no planning, just like they didn't do any of the business plans and all these things that were you know, proposed when yeah. we were talking over the well, last couple of years. To me, yeah. it's one in the same. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's look, it's a desperate estrangement from reality. The last time we spoke <laughs> on hair, that's what I was talking about, how these people just, they don't get it and they don't, you know, they're living in their own little world. Uh, look, I, I just on this before we we move on to the next thing, and your points made strong and clear, and I agree with you. The, the representative body for traditional owners of Alice Springs, they also issued a statement on Tuesday ahead of Albanese's visit, imploring him to quote look deeply at uh, all of the issues affecting the town, uh, stating that the situation was truly out of control. Um, mm. If Albanese looks properly, he'll see that the current crisis in Alice Springs arises from the chronic and systemic neglect of our remote communities over many decades. He will see things that should shame our nation, the parliament, and its elected representatives. As the uh, police commissioner, Jamie Chalker, said today, there is something inherently broken at the front end and that you cannot police away the problems. What Commissioner Chalker knows is that it is the long-term failure of government policy in remote Australia, which is seeing the destruction of remote communities by underinvestment lack of government attention and non-existent economic base, all of which has led to the flight of individuals on this, onto the streets of Alice Springs. Mm. So, look, this, yeah, I mean, you get into this stuff, this isn't going to be an easy fix. We know that no politician can show up for two hours in an afternoon and try and solve yeah. this. But yep. you, you also see that there were problems that led up to it. And again, a lot of the focus on this was just on alcohol and the Stronger Futures legislation being lifted when it was mm. in July. Clearly, the facts show, the figures show that, that that contributed, but that's not everything. Yeah, correct. And look good on the federal government for actually saying, you know, essentially, you guys have no idea what you're doing. We're going to come and help you do this. Uh, but it's still going to have to be implemented by the Northern Territory government and something needs to happen because it's simply unacceptable that in this country – we can have people fearing for their lives when they're just doing a daily shop. Yeah. And, we've and there's all seen a guy that, with a machete outside. Yeah, yeah correct. We've great. all seen the photos of, of Woolworths, which is essentially barricaded in, and you, you can go and do your shopping while you're barricaded in. That's just that's not the country we, we uh, you know, want to be living in. No, no, definitely not. So let's move on to the next story because it sort of touches on the same uh, issue and that is that the Alice Springs mayor came out uh, after Anthony Albanese had been there and said, essentially, um, well, we had to do something and I'm prepared to try anything, uh, but the cynic in me says this is not going to work. Yeah, the cynic in everyone he's exposed here because he knows this. He knows that he's been battling this for over years since his time – as mayor, you know, it was 12 months ago when he wrote that letter saying we're a town in crisis, we're at crisis point. Yeah. Crime is so bad. We need some, we need help from anybody. Please. He wrote to federal members. He wrote to the territory members. 
uh, and nothing really happened. Then he had uh, a current affair came up to that story, put it on the national stage. Millions of people saw it. And again, the anti-government took no action and didn't do anything. They announced the social order response team, but it took them. That was when they started uh, stealing cars and smashing them into police cars. And then they, and then, you know, it was what December 1st of December, November when mm. Chalker sends down 40 extra police officers for this operation and says that there were 300, I think now it's up to 500 arrests since that time. But, you know, it doesn't seem to have made an impact. And Matt Patterson, here this guy is, I mean, he's doing well. He's doing everything right for the people, his people, his constituents who voted him in. He's sticking up for them in the face of everything else. And so when, when he comes out after this meeting, and after Albanese says what he wants to do and files announces her, her broad restrictions uh, for two days a week here, uh, he says that, look, it's a, it was at a crisis point uh, a year ago. He said I'm, he, he's concerned that depriving alcoholics for two days a week could lead to more break-ins and increased crime in the community. He also mm. warned that the ongoing lack of results in Alice Springs was a harbinger of things to come in Darwin. So yeah. he said, look, you guys in Darwin are about where we were 12 months ago. So just wait. And he said, I'm not trying to scare anybody. I think everybody who knows anything knows that. Um, and just wait. It's going to get worse. Uh, so, you know, uh, yeah, he said, um, I just thought it was good. So he goes on mix on uh, on Wednesday morning there and he says, clearly, it's the stronger futures legislation, massive issue and a sensitive issue, but we know that it worked and it shouldn't have lapsed. There was begging from organizations not to take it away and the government did. So they certainly need to address that. Uh, yeah. And he said, look, the cynic in me thinks that as far as the changes that have been put forward by the chief minister, the cynic in me says that it won't work, but I'm happy to come on if it does work and say that I was wrong. But he said, we already see break-ins at 2 or 3 a.m. overnight for people wanting alcohol. So what's going to happen when we take it away from them for two days? I'm fearful that it puts further strain on business to not get broken into, and alcohol will be harder to come by. Therefore, there will be more break-ins. Now, we talked about that, his invitation to everybody to come up to Alice, to come down to Alice, wherever they were coming from, to, to see, to hear uh, uh feel and hear the palpable fear of our locals he had written in that letter mm. uh yeah so despite attempts by the labor government to address the problem since then both with gunner and files uh, nothing's worked we know that crime rates have skyrocketed according to police figures uh albanese didn't exactly rule out uh that not reinstating something similar to the stronger futures ban but he's doing the surgeon review now. But and then you know, he's only looking at consultation for a week, but I think they've probably already got their minds made up. And when they're telling the anti government this is what you need to do, we'll come in and fix your mess now. Uh the lack of consultation again has been a problem. So Files gets on radio <clears throat> national ABC on Wednesday morning, and she starts saying that uh maybe the electoral commission could be used to gauge supporting communities for reinstating the blanket grog ban. Uh, this is something where communities have had the opportunity to opt in to being a dry community. She still thinks that's the way we have seen a number of communities make that choice, but others have said no. How we assess that in that alcohol management plan is something that the controller will look at and I will seek advice on. Do we go out literally to a ballot? Do we get the electoral commission to go out to these communities? <laughs> um, I don't know. <laughs> Look, that's, 
I, I don't know what she, she had so much time to do this, knowing that it was going to end in, in July of last year, that all of this stuff, the consultation now she's saying she wants to do some sort of referendum on this. It's that's ridiculous. I mean, we're past that point. Uh, back to uh, to what Patterson was saying, though, he said, look, when he talked about uh, Darwin is where Alice Springs was 12 months ago, he said we were, we're we were already on a slow burn. We were already going downhill and relaxing stronger futures blows your mind, the effect it's had on the town, he said. But I want to say if alcohol is the problem, what you're going through in Darwin was Alice Springs 12 months ago. I don't want to send a wave of fear through Darwin, but that was happening in Alice Springs 12 months ago is what you guys are going through now. So if alcohol is the problem, then it should be territory-wide changes for Monday and Tuesday and then see if crime rates drop in Darwin because it's not all roses up there either. That's a great comment. Yeah, I comment. Yeah, he said that addressing the ongoing alcohol problem again was only part of the problem. He said there's two fires burning here. There's one that's the alcohol, and yes, alcohol is a problem. He said, but there's two. The second, which is also the antisocial behavior. So just by removing alcohol doesn't address having five and six year olds on the street late at night. So you know, it addresses the alcohol issues. The announcement yesterday, but it certainly doesn't help address the antisocial behavior stuff too. I've made up the plea that we need more resources down here. Yeah, well, I guess that's what I was saying before because the two uh, uh, look, it's all it's all intertwined. Obviously, I mean, the point you made before is really interesting because I mean it makes total sense, but it's not something that had even entered into my mind. Well, and not something that would be, <clears throat> I think, applicable to everybody. I mean, these problems yeah. started before that. There's no way that, that this is the situation for everybody that they need to get out of their homes, their young people, it yeah. seems that they've already been booted out of the home and they've got nowhere to go. That's exactly right. I mean, yeah. you know, as, as we discussed previously with the Palmerston mayor, that, that you know, the police um, stance on this is it's safer for these kids not to be at home than yeah. it is to be in their homes. So yeah. the fact that they know that, that needs to be addressed. But, I mean, the overwhelming bad taste about this whole thing is clearly this is not something that's been sprung on the NT government and clearly they've done nothing about it. And the whole comment about, you know, we don't want racist rules and laws is is a moot point when you've got the communities themselves saying this should have been done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Files patting herself on the back for this two-day thing, saying, well, our policy now isn't race-based, so look at us. And wow. it's like, well, yeah, okay, you're blocking everyone from buying booze on Monday and Tuesday. It's not going to work. And, and Matt Patterson is the guy of the coalface well this, who's seen it firsthand. He's saying this isn't going to work. And and he's even nice enough to say, I hope it does, but <laughs> I doubt it. I mean, but I think he said this on everything. Remember, remember the day I came on and I was in a press conference with Kate Warden was after the kids were stealing cars and smashing up. And it was like twice in three days that, the, yeah. that they've had to close the CBD. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know, her plan then was that she was going to intervene in these kids and put them in a special place overnight if they can't go home. Like, none of that worked. I mean, she's had months now. That was like September or something. Yeah. October, I think early October. They've had months where none of this has worked. Nothing that they've done before. They have now are trying this, but it's kind of too little too late. They didn't listen. They didn't get it. So, mm. yeah, well, it's not going to get fixed anytime soon. Let's turn our focus now to uh, this fabulous Facebook page, which has been getting quite a lot of 
uh, notoriety, certainly in the territory and now outside of it, thanks to a you know a, a, a fellow that set it up initially and a, a great bunch of Alice Springs locals who are uh, very active on this. And this is the uh, Action for Alice page. But disappointingly, um, the police top brass were you know trying to intervene in things they were doing on this page and uh, running them down for providing some public information on on some pretty average behaviour. Yeah, this is uh, this is what the anti-police under Jamie Chalker does. I mean, we know this. They suppress information. We know we had the story two years ago about sexual assaults being covered up and suppressed from the public. Uh, you know, whether that's a political thing or that's just a police operational thing, I still haven't determined that yet. But, you know, it, it's clear that the police have no interest in getting information out to the public in, in a timely fashion in the way in which they expect that would maybe protect them sometimes when an incident happens. And such was the case here uh, last week when uh, Darren Clark, of course, is the guy, the baker down there in Alice Springs who started this page. So he posted now about an alleged indecent assault that occurred uh, on last Monday afternoon, uh, which NT police did not say anything about, but they confirmed it in a media release two days later. <clears throat> so he writes, not confirmed, sexual assault at Katie's 213-year-old's original post said, not confirmed. Reports of a lady has been sexually assaulted at Katie's store by two roughly 13-year-olds. Then a second post stated, Katie's update, it has been reported to police. Now, this is all that he said. He wanted the public mm -hmm. to be aware that there was a sexual assault, that the, the, whatever description, very brief, of the, the, who we thought were two 13-year-olds. Uh, so he puts that up because the public, you know, need information when this is happening. They maybe could have caught these two 13-year-olds. They'd at least be aware. Yeah. Watch out for two 13-year-olds if you're a woman by yourself walking down the street, right? Yeah. So <clears throat> after he gets... After he publishes this, he then gets a text message from our old friend Martin Dole. Now, Martin Dole played a significant role in the whole uh, Walker-Rolf thing. And um, anyway, if anyone can go and, and check that out and read it. Where I remember Martin Dole first from was uh, when we were running the stories about the suppressed sexual assaults. This clown comes out, Chalker wheels him out, and he says on radio, we're not going to give information, all the information about sexual assaults in a timely fashion because... People just read that to get their own kicks. Wow. You know, it's like some of the gratification of wow. people. That's why they read it. We're like, I don't even know where you're coming from with that because well, why we report it is so people have the information. Yeah. So they can protect themselves. Uh, you know, anyway, so he writes now to, uh, to Darren Clark. He sends him a text message or an email here, and he says, uh, you may have committed a crime for publishing this information. He says, Darren, this is the quote, Darren, your action for Alice Post regarding an alleged sexual assault at Katie's may be a criminal offense under the Sexual Offenses Act. Uh, you have disclosed specifics that may identify the victim. The victim has advised she has not provided her consent for this and would like the post removed. Martin Dole. Ooh, well, nowhere in there. Is there any information? Now, we've gone and we've looked at the act and what it actually says, right? And uh, there's there's nothing there's nothing that he did that that would that would breach that act right there's uh, I think we've got it in the story here um, 
It prohibits the publication, and, and this is for good reason. We've had to explain this to poor old Martin Dole, too, is that we're, you know, there are laws when you're publishing this stuff, uh, and, you, and everybody wants to protect the victim of a sexual assault. I mean, first mm-hmm. and foremost, but we also need to get that information that's critical to the public so they can protect themselves. Uh, now, section, section 6 of that act prohibits the publication of the name, address, school, or place of employment of a complainant or a victim or any other particular likely to lead to the identification of a complainant and if the publisher recklessly publishes that fact or those facts. Now, where in that are you getting any information about the victim? He's saying that there was an alleged, it's not confirmed, there was an alleged indecent assault, sexual assault at this particular place. This is all generic information here that people should just know about. There's nothing about the victim in that that would identify the victim. You wouldn't think so, would you? So, no. So, so David Wood does this story up, and, and he asks the police. He sends questions about Dole, and he said, uh, and, now, and now the police media release did come out, I should mention that, two days later, uh, did not provide the name of the shop, but it said that it was on this street this time. Yeah. It gave all the same information that he did, except didn't yeah. name the shop, right? So uh, the NT police did not answer, of course, our questions again, uh, specifically asking to explain how Clark's post contravened the Sex Offenses Act. They also refused to answer whether Dole purposely sent the text to Clark, telling him he was potentially committing a crime when Dole was fully aware Clark was not committing a crime, or in the alternative, whether Dole properly understood the legislation of what constituted a crime when disclosing identities of victims of sexual offenses. Now... Yeah, we get into this whole thing where, you know, we just kind of see this. Now, we spoke to another police officer. We know how, how the police operate. The other, this other police officer didn't want to be named, said, you know, there, there's an issue here that, uh, that he may, Dole may have actually committed, the crime. committed a crime here by <laughs> impeding some citizens' oh, God. right to do things, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so for fear of repercussions for speaking out against the top brass, told Woody the legislation clearly showed action for Alice Post did not constitute a crime and question whether Dole was trying to intimidate Clark. Uh, yeah, he said, uh, by virtue of his text, Dole confirmed the alleged incident and the indecent assault had actually occurred, and NT police were keeping it a secret. And he gave more intel than action for Alice did. Uh, yeah, and he said, um, you know, uh, when it comes to, he said, in my belief, I think there's overreach. Oh, no, sorry. That was uh, that was Darren Clark saying that he thought the minister's office may have gotten involved in this and wanted to keep it quiet. Now, it was also, the source said Dole's actions could be considered under the improper conduct offense, which states that when uh, deciding whether a person's conduct warrants a criminal charge, if the person is a public officer, such as a police officer, it needs to be determined whether the person behaved in a way reasonably expected of a police officer. It is also to be considered whether that person acted in an honest and reasonable belief that they were lawfully entitled to act in the way they did in the seriousness of the conduct. Now, covering people making threats, it states any person who threatens to do any injury or cause any detriment of any kind to another with intent to prevent or hinder that other person from doing any act he is lawfully entitled to do or with intent to compel him to do any act that he is lawfully entitled to abstain from doing is guilty of an offense and liable to imprisonment for two years. <laughs> so, 
Wow. Yeah, I mean, these guys just don't think before they just, let's just suppress everything. Let's just keep it all quiet. Uh, they would not say whether Dole or potentially any of his superiors would be suspended while the situation is investigated, as is routine for rank and file officers under the Police Administration Act, who are sometimes suspended without pay. And then we got into, you know, uh, just his his greatest hits, Martin Dole's belief in not providing instant gratification to the public with details of crimes. Uh, and this again went into that sexual assault of the toddler where the, the police had yep. in the yard. And we know what they did for us when they then tried to get the uh, National Classification Board to, I guess, say that our thing was smut or something so that they could then, they could then raid our offices, arrest us, take our computers. They actually tried to do this for us reporting the facts of a crime. So here they are now in Alice Springs doing this kind of heavy handed stuff and getting their way and getting away with it again. So, well, yeah, I mean, it's disappointing. Hopefully it is investigated in full. And, uh, you know, if, if there's anything that is being misconstrued here, that, that, comes out but by the sound of it it sounds like as you said they're they're trying to keep these sort of details suppressed for some reason and i mean uh, the thing i thought when you were reading out the note uh that that they put on the action for alice page i mean you've seen some of the stuff that they write on the community pages in darwin and (laughs) let me tell you there's things that are written that are a hell of a lot worse than that Oh man, there's things that I got to take down <laughs> from yeah. our page, yeah. but yeah, but you know, it's reasonable. It's, it's what is reasonable here, and this is reasonable for the public to have information of an assault that happened, so they can protect themselves. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's move from the southern capital now to the northern capital and uh, stick with a bit of a theme. And um, police have been given new powers to order 14-day bans from Casuarina Square Shopping Centre under a high-risk designation. Tell us about that. <laughs> yeah, look, given new powers uh, in the whole Casarina area, so not just the shopping center, but streets outside it, they apparently have gazetted this now, where the minister can declare a spot high-risk, um, certain areas, different streets, and uh, give powers here for bans to be put on people for, you know, some minor offense. Some are, are pretty serious, but, uh, but some of it, when you get into this, what they call a high risk area, once it's deemed that, uh, 14 days for as minor offenses as swearing or singing a dirty song or ballad. It's this. Um, well, that, hmm. rules, that rules us out, Chris. <laughs> well, you know, I was thinking, but it, it doesn't say sea shanties. <laughs> dirty sea shanties are dirty okay sea shanties are all clear they're okay you I can do it. that you a can good, do that a good dirty sea shanty at Casarina <laughs> Square <laughs> <laughs> oh look yeah, we, we, we found that odd just odd that it would be that specific about a ballad I, I, I still don't get that but anyway look we know how bad things are down there at Casarina and how afraid people are the public are going there um yep. You know, so some of this stuff makes sense. Now, bans can happen for being violent when drunk. This is more more serious stuff. Involved in a crime, displaying antisocial behavior, or refusing to leave a licensed premises. Uh, 
So she, uh, Natasha Files is actually the alcohol policy minister. Um, she said that uh, she's done this, declared it a high-risk area, that she was acting on the advice of the Northern Suburbs Social Order Response Team. All right. Now, remember I them. I haven't heard of them recently. Yeah. Well, they were invented by them and Alice Springs and were doing secret patrols or something, right? Oh, yeah. With Jeanette yeah. Kerr came in and overruled Chalker and set up this social order response team, yep, yep. which is bureaucrats and I don't even think police were on. I don't know who else was on it. They're, they're hunting down people singing dirty ballads. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, but th this is the thing that we've never really been given any facts on, on who makes up the social order response team, who they answer to. Covert team, uh, that's why. Yeah, apparently to to files. It's her secret army or Jeanette Kerr's secret army. Uh, and she said that it includes police now. Oh. Apparently it includes police. That's all. That's the first time we've heard that. Uh, she did not detail what advice she was given, what evidence it was based on, or what or other organizations or people the SORT was made up of. So, uh, yeah, it looks like She's just gone ahead and done this. Now we know, like I said, that there were issues there. We know that the new owner of the mall has uh, yep. uh, been very public. I think he's been on ABC talking about how much money he has to pay to get the poop removed uh, from, the, from the guard park. Uh, mm. And just saw the disgusting thing that goes on. And the cost of security. And you see those guards are all wearing the flak jackets there. And uh, yep. it's um, it's a war zone. Uh, so I think that this would probably be seen as a good move by a lot of people in the community who like to go shopping at Casarina. Again, we don't want it to get to the place where you got a, a nut job with a machete outside. Yeah. Um, keeping people in like happened in Alice Springs. But again, all of this stuff starts to, you start to see that and you start to realize what Matt Patterson's saying is probably pretty true. That yep. uh, we're only about 12 months away from getting as bad as, as they are down there. So anyway, this is, I think, would be a good thing uh, overall. This is, is probably positive. Um, but again, I think that the public is entitled to more information on the sort, the social order response team. They call them the sort. I'd like to know who's on there, who they're answering to, what what their motives are. Um, yeah, I, I'm, yeah. I'm concerned whether people who are uh, writing articles that are call the government into question might not be on their list as well, Chris, you know, certain journalists. Yeah, well, you know, man, like, yeah, you can laugh about that, but the, the way things are going these yeah. days, you're like, I, yeah. That's what I, I was just, thinking. Yeah. I, I, I was thinking, I was picturing Chris at Casarina Square enjoying a coffee and writing an article. Next thing you know, 14-day ban. Yeah. Well, look, man. I, yeah, yeah, and we've been on it for a long time, and that's it. No other journalists are getting up and saying anything about it. Yeah. We've been banned, and, and, and I guess they think that's okay. Now, I guess if I started uh, singing an obscene, an obscene song or ballad in or within the hearing or view of any person in any road, yeah. street, thoroughfare, public place, um, then they could ban me, but it wouldn't, it did not specify in here what is classified as obscene language. Um, right. but yeah, you know, that is, it's of any road or street. So anywhere in Casarina, not just the shopping center, but like on the street around there, yeah, you better yeah. not be singing any dirty limericks. Oh, no, wait, dirty limericks yeah. are okay, too. It doesn't say that <laughs> song or ballad. Well, obscene language, I mean, that could be 
someone singing the Collingwood Football Club theme song. I'd find that pretty obscene. <laughs> That's an excellent point. Right, 14 days in the clink for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's open to interpretation and that's the whole thing. So that's um often the problem. Yeah, and how they fight it too. There it's not clear on that how someone would fight a 14-day ban too, because yeah. yeah, you know, they could just throw this up for any any benign reason that they really want. So Surely they could put on a sort ombudsman. They could uh, spend a few, <laughs> few extra bucks on getting someone in that role, couldn't they? Yeah, because it's so weird. They're saying police are on it, but it's also like public servants. So does yeah, the Office of Public Employment Commissioner have some sort of say? Yeah. Um, does the ombudsman, but I wouldn't think so. Yeah. Anyway. Interesting. Look, yeah, secret armies. All right. Well, let's move to the next story. And... Uh, Someone we haven't spoken about for a while, but uh, back in the news this week, uh, the ICAC is now wanting to hear from whistleblowers <laughs> and about their experience with exposing corruption, which we've heard about before, has not been uh, particularly favourable in the past. But yeah, you know, and the kind of headline makes it sound like uh, uh, like poor Riches, who hasn't, of course, got any runs on the board yet, <laughs> still like, over a year and a half now. Um, he may be asking for advice from whistleblowers. So how do you actually expose this corruption? I, I've heard about it. I'm not sure how I how I go about doing this because really we have, we still don't know what this guy's doing. He spent the, We got his annual report, remember, and he said navel-gazing. He's been navel-gazing for 12 months. It was actually the definition. He said, I was looking inwardly and focused on the inner workings of this office. Yeah, dude, that's navel-gazing, man. And nobody nobody is paying you to do that. We're paying you to expose corruption here. Anyway, we'll have more on, on him, I'm sure, coming up in, in, recent, in, in the upcoming weeks. But uh, w- what he did here, he put out this release, and, and it's so strange sometimes, too, um, when he does this stuff, it's, it's this very formal release saying that he is uh, uh, he's undertaken what he's calling a project to review the state of whistleblowing in the Northern Territory. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, well, well. What is the state of whistleblowing in the Northern Territory? Well, I can tell you it's not very good. I, yeah. I hear the whistles more than most people, but uh, everybody yeah. that we talk to, like, honestly, Pete, the sources that we get, you know, even that day, can I say that even that day we had two people call the office, just kind of cold, and were telling us about things that were happening. Both of these people said, uh, you know, we're just concerned. We know that whistleblowers get screwed over in yeah. this town. Um, yeah, we're just concerned about that. And and I can't tell you how many sources I've spoken to over the years here who all say that. Like, we can't. Sometimes they feel they can't blow the whistle because they're going to lose their jobs they're going to get and didn't the, the former icac say that didn't yes they, say, they did this they did yeah. this and they actually did the exact same thing of what he's talking about now what riches is saying is that he wants to hear from people uh there'll be a consultation process and then he'll fix it they did this in 2017 yeah like they they and, did this and, and they everybody had universally said they were worse off at the end of the process Oh, well, that, yeah, well, then that was another thing later. Yeah, you're right. There was a whole thing that that, that was about. Now, yeah. but yeah, in 2017, they, they did this as they were establishing it. Now, he's saying it's, I guess, five years or something. We want to look at this. What can we do? It's a little project for me. <laughs> uh, one of the main reasons people do not report wrongdoing is the fear of retaliation, Richard said. Well, no shit. 
uh, every public body has a responsibility to minimize the risk of retaliation against those who come forward and call out impropriety. As commissioner, I must issue and keep under review directions and guidelines relating to whistleblowing. The directions and guidelines issued by the former commissioner are now in need of a review. However, sources have repeatedly told the NT Independent over years that they do not feel protected when reporting corruption in the NT Public Service, and that includes complaints filed with the Office of the ICAC. Like in many instances, and we're saying this, the ICAC refer, refers matters back to departments mm-hmm. to investigate to the very people. <laughs> and now, and, and we saw in that annual report, this is this pr- practice of referring back to departments has actually increased during Richards' tenure as commissioner, in some cases, including to the very people being complained about by whistleblowers. <laughs> Their bosses will get this thing. Now, in other instances, I just want to remind people that the office of the ICAC has been accused of making the identities of whistleblowers public themselves. And very famously, the ICAC inspector of all people, he's previously named whistleblowers in annual reports without their knowledge or permission. And wow. said, oh, yeah, this person complained about this. And it's like, oh, you you can't do that. or You shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. Like, how do you have the confidence? How do people have the confidence? And I'll tell you another thing, like for riches, it's free advice on that too. Start doing stuff. <laughs> start getting results and that that builds the trust with people because when people keep going to you and are giving you stuff and things happen to them and they get named and they get demoted or they lose their job and nothing comes of it well the public start to lose faith and trust in that body and yep. you know i don't know how bad this has to get like it, it's it's probably it's got to be the worst that it's been at right now i don't think anybody that i've speak to has any faith or confidence in the way in which the office of the ICAC is functioning. Uh, it, it, yeah, for whistleblowers, for somebody to put their neck on the line to go to him and, and say, this is what's going on, I don't think they'd believe that he would do it. And, and I talk to so many people who've already been there. Mm. And once they get there and they get screwed around by the office of the ICAC, then they come to us yep. as a last resort and say, look, here's what I got. And, you know, we can work with them in some cases. Some cases it doesn't work. But, um, you know, you, you, you need to have that trust there. And I I guess he's trying to do this by saying, well, I'm going to do a review. Like, he also doesn't really have any powers to do anything here. He's talking about changing legislation, ultimately, if it's to protect whistleblower. There's whistleblower legislation on the books. Um, meanwhile, there's already, remember, Gunner, Gunner ordered this uh, review of the ICAC Act. So, like, how does this fit in with that? And where the hell is even that right now? Like, yeah. The, that should all probably be done together. Now, the other part of this is that, you know, from the cynics that, uh, that not, not uh, us, with <laughs> yeah. some people who observe things who say, um, you know, he's either front footing something with this, that something's about to come down that, that he's really out of people or that McClintock, the inspector had, or he's, he's building this up. Like he doesn't give a time frame here for when he wants this done. So when there are issues that present themselves, he says, well, well, look, guys, I'm reviewing that. That's a special project of mine, and that'll take two years to review. And Mm -hmm. so then in that time, if there have been breaches of whistleblowing legislation meant to protect people and people have been identified, he says, well, I'm working on it now. I'm trying to fix that now. It Mm -hmm. does seem like he's trying to front foot something here on why he would try to review what would be legislative at the same time that the act is being reviewed by the government. Um, it just yeah. strikes me as a bit unusual around the timing of all of this. So 
So this uh, is a true watch this space situation, you reckon? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, we've been watching the ICAG for a year and a half. Like I said, we're getting past a year and a half now. And still nothing, still negative output. Negative output. He's done. He's taken the output that has been there by the old ICAC and, and removed it. Like, I actually removed something. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, man. So we're going backwards here. And yeah, this, yeah. He's still, yeah. Anyway, well, yeah. I, it's just very disappointing to see, and I and I feel for a lot of people who, and I feel their frustration when they call me after they've dealt with the ICAC and said he's not doing anything. We've given them all of this stuff, and then they're just in shambles there, and they still seem to be. After all this time, uh, anyway, it's, yeah, it's disappointing. Well, hopefully something will come of it. As you say, it might be um, preceding something that's uh, that's going to come up. <laughs> yes, that's right. And yeah, and I, and I think we're in the next few months here. There's definitely, I think we're going to hear be hearing more from Riches on a lot of things, at least yeah, yeah. one way or the other, let's say. Yeah. All right. Let's be positive, Chris. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next story. It's something that we hear from time to time in, in the Territory and it strikes fear into us all whenever we look at a waterway and uh, a man has been attacked by a crocodile near Daly River. Yeah, uh, you know, when you when you see these press releases come out from the authorities, from officials that croc attack, you think the worst. And yeah. I remember... Um, going down there to to adelaide river um it, it was pretty early on actually when i started i think i hadn't even covered parliament yet and i was working a late shift and sure yeah. enough this uh, vietnamese fisherman gets taken by a croc uh and killed and i mean it was terrible so we we, we, yeah. we went down there uh taking photos trying to get the facts of what was going on they ended up shooting that crocodile that night um so every time you see that in this crocodile attack, you think, oh, I, I always think the worst because I don't yeah. know, guys who survive croc attacks, I think that's pretty amazing uh, because we know what can happen. So such was this case that uh, that this guy, um, I guess he was, they said he was collecting crocodile eggs on a remote station near Daly River when he was attacked by a crocodile earlier today. Uh, remarkably, the man reported uh, was reported as only suffering wounds to his right leg. After the attack, St. John Ambulance received the report that the man had been collecting eggs. At some point on Thursday morning, the victim was flown out of the area by private helicopter uh, and then transported by St. John Ambulance to the Royal Darwin Hospital. Uh, the man whose age was not released is currently undergoing surgery for his injuries, which are considered serious but not life-threatening. Um, details of how he fought off the crocodile and managed to survive the ordeal were not released. Uh, MT WorkSafe has been advised of the incident, police said, and will be carrying out inquiries. Wow, sounds full on, doesn't it? The, um, I mean, it makes more sense now that he's collecting crocodile eggs. Um, it wasn't a random thing. Yeah. With his crocodile eggs, mum and dad are usually around. So yeah. that, that makes sense. But gee, how frightening that would have been. Yeah, well, like what you said, it wasn't a random attack. There wasn't a croc just lurking down a back alley waiting for the next person to walk down the street. <laughs> Not like Alice Springs crime. Where no, no. That clearly happens. A little less um, calculated. Yeah. But look, yeah, I mean, this, this thing's scary. And, and like you said, collecting crocodile eggs. Now, this is, is starting to become the worst job ever. I, I don't isn't know it, if it was. It? wasn't before yeah. i remember they had a list of like the worst jobs in the 90s and it was assistant crack whore 
was the worst job. Assistant crack whore. Wonder why that is. What's, what's uh, an what's assistant? The, you're you're assisting the, assistant the crack doing? whore. <laughs> yeah, you're assisting the crack whore. This is starting to sound really. This is starting to sound like the worst job ever. Crocodile I collect, and I, yeah, it is. you know, we've we've seen the big high profile we case have, and what's going on there. Yeah. And now here you got this poor guy. Now that's what I want to know, and I'm sure this will come out here in the next day or so. Is like his story of of, of how we fought off the crocodile and stuff. Yeah. I'll tell you, yeah, I wouldn't be signing up. I hope that's not your job of the week here this week. Is <laughs> looking for another crocodile egg collector. Well, there is a new one going. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, this, yeah, I wonder like what these guys get paid and what kind of thing, you know. And that's it. NC WorkSafe now, as the police said, have been advised, and they'll be carrying out inquiries. It'd be interesting to know whose company this was here, and well, if you get yeah. back into the same boys there, they're not having a good good run here over the last 12 months no and i must admit when i first heard the story um about the the previous uh, major incident that occurred while collecting crocodile eggs i Even actually the crash yeah I, yeah I actually thought at the time i thought surely not surely people aren't suspended from the bottom of yeah. I, I just, I just couldn't believe i just yeah. believe that was a thing but seemingly it is yeah, I'm starting to think it's not a good job. I, no. I mean, I guess there's some about the thrill of it all or something for some personality types. But uh, yeah, yeah, you really got your life in your hands here with Crocs for one, and then yeah, you're dangling from a helicopter now. In this case, that we did, there is mention of a helicopter and that he was flown by the area by private yeah. helicopter to yeah. St. John Ambulance, who took him to the hospital. So it sounds like like the same kind of practice maybe it was still going on so it'll be interesting now with with what WorkSafe will find out about it well they're already busy so let's see what they come out with with regards to this (laughs) and uh let's move on to the next story because uh i think there was a few heads being shaken from left to right when uh we read this story and uh ela's arnhem space center is likely to be mothballed now until 2025 unless launch customers are found. Because they're out searching for mm-hmm. them, are they? Appa- well, yeah, apparently ELA now. I think we can say that the former investment commissioner, and there'll be more on him. That's our mate, Disneyland Andy. Uh, that he's gone around. He's tried to find customers for it. doesn't look like it's going to happen uh, anytime soon. The uh, the owner, of course, Equatorial Launch Australia, saying that, uh, yeah, look, if they can't find anybody uh, in the next little bit, that it, it, NASA hasn't committed, so it won't be used for the next two and a half years or so, at least. Yeah. And I don't think it was, what, when was that, July that they shot last time? So you're looking at three years, probably, uh, of where it wouldn't be. NASA now hasn't committed to anything until at least 2025. He's saying that uh, this is a... Uh, the, the guy Jones here, who's running Equatorial Launch Australia, Michael Jones, he told the ABC this week that uh, he's in discussions, quote, with many parties from around the world to try to secure the spaceport's next launch. Uh, and even then, he, he, he really was noncommittal on NASA. He said NASA has indicated a keenness to return. However, it will be based on scientific requirements, and as such, we think it is likely to return in 25, 26 even. Um, so, 
look, this is one of the things that's being touted by the NT government as uh, making up this $40 billion economy yes. by 2030. <laughs> and so to me now, this is the next thing that's kind of not, not what it's been advertised and, uh, and is slowly falling away. We've had some pretty big things fall through here. And we have good. most, most, well, when I say most, a number of things have gone into liquidation or receivership. I reckon, just a little hint for anyone out there who might be listening, if you just put a minus sign before that $40 billion, I don't reckon anyone will notice for a while. Just <laughs> <laughs> say minus $40 billion by 2030 because <laughs> yeah. you're going to spend every bit of it. Uh, yeah, and on foolish things, right? Now, this yeah. one, we know that the, the rocket's launched. I mean... It's kind of questionable. So we know that the anti-government gave ELA five million dollars to to help For build the Adelaide headquarters. Yeah, and then they moved to Adelaide and created forty jobs there over the next yeah. three years. Yeah. Uh, but they're reg- and they're not regretting that now either because they've got nothing to do in the in the territory for three years. So yeah, you know. and 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 you know, but and here the NT government was saying, oh well, look, if we put this money in and we build this Arnhem Space Center, the launch market here is going to be great. It's going to be worth up to US nine hundred and thirty million dollars over the next ten years. That's but a, we that's now a, know that nothing's coming for the next three. It's so. a great way to put it up to nine hundred and thirty. Yeah, that's <laughs> up to. I might start a business and look. Our first year forecast is we'll earn up to a billion dollars. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. We should have had that in the story in quotation marks. Up to <laughs> it was nine hundred thirty million, but really the five million we put into it. Uh, yeah, look, we know the good things that happened when that happened in June and July, those launches there and the economic spinoffs for people in Gove, economically depressed area now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so despite some chances of having any launches this year, Deputy Chief Minister Nicole Madison maintained that 2023 should see more rocket launches from the Arnhem Space Center. <laughs> <laughs> we just, my just response, the guy who's my operating response? Yes, it should. (laughs) (laughs) Um, To continue the accelerated growth of the NT space industry and create job opportunities and economic growth for the region. But yet the guy who's operating it has just told her that ain't going to happen. Yeah. And to be clear, there's not a space industry. There's one space business (laughs) that NASA launched two rockets a year ago, and that's about it. But listen, far be it it from me to be the one to come up with the ideas of how we can expand this business but if yeah, if, if so. you sit there and think well you know rocket industry launching you know what's the opportunity i, I reckon they should get on the phone with north korea asap <laughs> <laughs> they seem to be uh, launching rockets continuously yeah look can i and I, i'll just tell you this the, the, we've got some foi documents back on andy cowan's travel and there's some people that he met with that are blacked out Right. So who knows? He may be meeting with Kim Jong there, and uh, oh, I took that the other way. Us. I thought they had a big night out. They all blacked out. <laughs> they blacked no, out. No, they've redacted. The they've redacted gotcha. names of who and companies gotcha. that he's met with, which is like he's charged taxpayers to meet with them. Anyway, there's suspicious stuff there, and uh, we'll have more. We'll have we'll have some stories up on that in the coming weeks, but uh, look, yeah, the, this whole thing, this whole idea of of the, the you know, I'm back to the $40 billion economy. 
it just seems to be falling apart. And it seems that like anybody can just show up here in town with some mm -hmm. half-assed idea <laughs> and get millions from the government. And not only do they get like the, the face millions, here you go, run your whole business with this money. We'll bankroll your business. And then they sound cl send clowns like Andy Cowan around to raise funds internationally on behalf of these private companies at our if, expense. If this private company starts in Darwin, will you sell them your stuff? Yeah, of course we will. Yeah, no well, yeah, in that case of AAI. But look, I think it's a lot worse than that. I think that, that uh, they just don't seem to be focused here. They don't seem to be understanding on what they can do and where their limits are. But to say, oh, yeah, okay, you create this industry. I mean, it's not easy to create an industry. And a lot of times it doesn't make economic sense to do it in Darwin. But yeah, they'll have somebody and they'll say, well, we'll just keep giving you millions and then we'll fly around. Yeah, we'll try and get private equity for you uh, with our resources. It's it's crazy. And then when it all falls apart because it never made sense to begin with, we're all out money. And not to mention the fact that the government's propped themselves up on lies and misrepresentations of how economically viable it actually is. And you know, this yeah. is another example of this, and there's going to be a lot more. And we've already seen a bunch. Well, then the Sun Cable thing too, right? That happened over the holidays. Yes, there. yes, correct. Um, I mean, Conspicuously, yeah, that's huge. And that clown Gunner was working for Twiggy. He's working for Twiggy now, and Twiggy's got one of the billionaires involved with that Sun Cable. And how much yep. do we give them in terms of land, in terms of money, and other things, so the Gunner could get a job with this guy? And now this whole thing's not going through the way it was supposed to go. Yeah, I uh, think, it's just I think uh, what 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 I'm hearing, and um, I think this is a really good way to start our first episode for the year, is that I think you really need to lower your expectations. <laughs> <laughs> oh, trust it, me. <laughs> yeah, my expectations are they're so low now that when I file an FOI, I could pick any topic, any subject, and file an FOI on it. I'm going to find criminality, you know, like. I'm going to find things that shouldn't have been happening. That's how low it is for me. Mm. But, but you know, but they still come out and they lie to everybody and misrepresent the fact that, oh, this is going to be great for us all. And then how many millions do we get pumped in? How many free trips do people get? How many handshakes are done? Um, and we all end up losing in the end. Well, the biggest overwhelming factor, and we've talked about this, you know, time and time again, but, you know, you need qualifications to do this. Hmm. As, as much as it seems like a great idea to run for your local seat and make a change and make a difference, if, if you've got no background or no history in these areas, how, how do you think you're going to go? Uh, look, I, I think that's it. And, and it's so bad because even though then the public servants that, that these guys are like actively putting in charge, like – that the, the, they don't have that experience either, that they think, well, let's let the public service, because they're the experts on this. I'm just a swim teacher. I'm just a guy who worked at Woolies uh, or Big W, whatever it was. Um, you know, they, they, they think that they've hired these geniuses or these experts and these guys, that they don't know what they're doing either. And then, yeah, it's just so depressing at <laughs> the end of the day, because we don't have anybody leading this place who actually you know, knows what they're doing at this point. And, and, and you can see this, but the way everything's falling apart. Mm. Uh, yeah. It does feel like it. In all but, fields. But look, let's um, get to the final story because I think it's important to end on a positive. And uh, 
I know you certainly would have, and I breathed a sigh of relief when I read this article. And uh, that is that Darwin was not actually destroyed by Russian and Indonesian missiles after an AFP fact check, which I think is great. <laughs> God bless the AFP, the Agency France Press, for fact-checking on whether or not Darwin was obliterated by missiles. Uh, yeah, it turns out we weren't. They could have called the NT Independent Office. We would have told them, but they have their ways of uh, of checking these things, let's say. But, uh, you know, attention's running as high, and I think the last podcast we did, we were talking about, um, the, you know, the war drums pounding and uh, we were. everyone yep. getting nervous about a lot of things here. And every week we seem to talk about some increased tensions uh, geopolitically and uh, given our position on everything here. Um, I, I thought that the start, I didn't think many, many people, I don't know if they didn't catch it on Facebook or what, but um, yeah, or, or, or that they thought like, well, that's too depressing to read. Like but they're actually reporting somewhere in the world. That, that Darwin was destroyed by Russian and Indonesian missiles. Yeah. Now, what this was, was a video posted on YouTube and Facebook. Uh, it, it claimed to show Darwin being destroyed by Indonesian and Russian missiles. Uh, of course, yeah, the AFP unsurprisingly found that that wasn't the case. Now, the AFP Indonesian Bureau reported that it fact-checked the 8-minute, 14-second video, which the media outlet said showed at least three distinct clips, one appearing to be a large fireball in the sky, an explosion, and other clips of soldiers in a military exercise. So uh, the YouTube video caption from December 24th, when translated from Indonesian, says thousands of flying missiles attacked from the Indonesian military and Russia has successfully destroyed the heart of the Australian city. The video had been viewed more than 74,000 times by uh, last Monday. AFP said it translated what the female narrator was saying from Indonesian into English. It found she was talking about supposed hostilities between Australia and Indonesia, that the conflict was heating up, and that Indonesian soldiers had been ordered to attack Australia from all directions. Uh, after accusing Australia of rejecting to talk, because Albanese wow. was refusing to talk to Indonesian defense minister. And so his party had launched missiles at the military target in Australia and planned to just, attack from all directions. Just for not talking to him. It's a bit harsh. Yeah, yeah. On Friday night, local We didn't time, talk to the Chinese for two years. Uh, on Friday night, local time, an explosion is reported to have lighted the strategic maritime area of Darwin in northern Australia, the forced report continued. Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese vowed to not surrender to Indonesia <laughs> and its allies, let alone hand over the contested island uh, to Indonesia. Now, uh, AFP said it had used the verification tools and found that the, one of the clips, Now, I guess this is like where they compare these kind of images and stuff and see what they can find. They found none of the clips show Darwin missile tug, of course, and the video's opening clip was shared in March 2022 by CNN Indonesia um, agency Newsflare and the Daily Mail. So the report said a Google search found the narrator read an altered Indonesian news article about Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, with that words substituted. Ukraine, uh, mistaken. Yeah, so the words were substituted, including Australia. Uh, the defense minister in Indonesia instead of Putin to make it appear as a story about Indonesia attacking Darwin. said the video clips used were taken from reports about Russia's invasion of Ukraine, a fire in Moscow, and a military exercise in Lithuania. 
<laughs> so they take them from all over the world and say, oh, here's yeah. Um So yeah, you know, the fact that this kind of goes on is is interesting. That um, that that this kind of false information can spread like this, and yeah. for what reason would somebody even do this up? Uh, yeah, it's interesting, isn't you it? You know, I guess it's propaganda, and it's helping some party somewhere with something. Um, Anyway, AFP, yeah, they've they've checked it, so good on them. They've got bureaus worldwide, and uh, they have previously debunked similar false posts about an ongoing armed conflict between Indonesia and Australia before. This has come up that there's something going on. Really? I mean, we've, I think we've had a few crosswords once in a while, but I don't think there's been... Armed armed conflict, no. No build-up of military on either side. No, so, um, but anyway, yeah, I don't know, we're, we're, you know, I guess it's a reminder too, just that we do get thrown in the middle of these things sometimes, yeah, and yeah. Um, people know where Darwin is, especially well, because it's of its location. And it's interesting because I've been watching the Australian Open tennis the, this week and last, and of course, um, the Russian players are not allowed to play under their flag at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and and in fact, there was a player tonight. Um, I forget her first name, but uh, Azarenka. She's a well-known player. She's won Grand Slams in the past. And I noticed that her flag was also white. And I thought, I don't, I didn't know she was from Russia, but she's not. She's from Belarus. Mm. And of course, they're oh yeah, they're open. Yeah, they're open yeah so I was like, that she was white as well. So mm. th- these are how these things happen. Where. And and Putin's even mentioned Australia recently because he's annoyed about all that's going on. Mm. So it, these things can blow up pretty quickly. But anyway, the good news is that Darwin was not destroyed and you're not talking to me from a secret lair somewhere. <laughs> yeah, in the independent <laughs> headquarters that we have in case of police raids, we just get uh, down in the bunker or, or yeah. missiles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, Chris, I guess uh, it's the time of the week when we need to look at the job files. <laughs> I don't have an intro for it yet. F-Y-L-E-S. That's it. But mm. this came past my desk this week. Uh, the Department of Industry, Tourism and Trade are looking for a content manager in the Marketing and Communications Department of the Government. Um Look, you know, there's nothing in there that you wouldn't expect. Hmm. But the ad starts out by saying, seeking different in 2023, a career change, lifestyle makeover, or new adventure. Nowhere lets you be who you are and find what you seek like the Northern Territory. The NT isn't trying to be different. It just is. So if (laughs) you seek different, then this job is for you. I don't know what the hell they're trying to attract in that job, but uh, it's paying $127,240 to $136,765. If you want some more information, you can call Erin, and she's the Consumer Marketing Manager. Who wrote that fabulous introduction? In Possibly, there. or so. maybe Chat GPT wrote it for her. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. Be like, and that's <laughs> yeah, we're going to get to that point where those jobs are not going to be listed anymore, and the Correct. computer will be doing Correct. it. Content manager, cheapest. Content that's, manager. You can spit out a thousand-word article in about thirty seconds. Yeah. Anyway, I'll I'll call Erin tomorrow. And I'll give her the uh, logins for ChatGPT. <laughs> but in the meantime, if the job does interest you, you can call her on 
and ask us some more questions. And yeah. And what was what was that slogan? Because I got to start using that. It was, um, we're not trying to be incompetent. We just are. <laughs> Is that what it was? <laughs> well, like well, different, they said. But I don't yeah, know. Well, we, we know yeah. what they meant by that. <laughs> We're not trying to be corrupt. We just are. We're not trying to be incompetent. We just are. Yeah. I get it. I like that. I, I said we got to start using that more. Now, why that job yeah, attracted, well, my, why that attracted my attention was mm. because I saw a poor old local business also looking for a content manager, and they're offering 70000 for the same job. No, so, Erin's Aaron, going to get bowled over with candidates, and yeah. whoever she doesn't pick is going to go for the other job and be as disgruntled as hell because they know <laughs> that up the road they're getting 60k oh, more. Yeah, I'd suggest that they just won't bother coming to Darwin. Oh, and by the way, I didn't say this bit, but I should mention it now. Now, you've got the choice of whether you want to work in Darwin. Or Alice Springs. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you're just tuning in now, I suggest you maybe read uh, the first couple of articles on this yeah. uh, on this podcast. <laughs> wow, wow! And I, I don't and I don't say that to make light of you and Alice Springs because we feel for you. But yeah, absolutely, whew, Things are that's, terrible. That's an ad that's a little bit out of touch, Chris. Mm, like they said, they're not trying to be incompetent. They just are. They just do it very well. Yep, yep. So, anyway, Chris, as always, mate, it's been a pleasure. Welcome back. I hope you had a good trip and hope you're locked and loaded for another big year. <laughs> Absolutely, Pete. Yeah, we'll see you next week. See you next week. It's been great. That was Chris Walsh from the NT Independent Online Newspaper. Weekends with Walshy back again next week on the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. We'll catch you then. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms or go to territorystory.com. The Territory Story Podcast, thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.